Hey, this is Scotty Dingus, pastor of West Logan Church. We are glad you're joining us for our podcast today. I hope you find what you need in today's message. Matthew 17, let's read it. It says this, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, hopefully we got some mountain movers, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I just want you to know, I know you sleep your day, but when I ask you a question, I want feedback. If I don't want you to answer, I'll say, now I don't want you to answer this, then I ask questions. So, do we have any mountain movers here today? Hallelujah. Ah, God, they just woke up. (laughs) So, anyways, we've been talking about this each week, talking about mountain moving faith. And God, when, when Christ is speaking this, he shows us, of course, a picture in our mind. And we see in Sunday school classes the, the size of a mustard seed. And we know the size of a mustard seed is very small, but it's like one to two millimeters in size. But Jesus was not talking about the size as much as he's talking about the potential. That, in fact, when people say, I just don't have any faith, it's just such a, a lie the enemy would want you to believe. God created every person to have a measure of faith, that every human has a measure of faith in their life. So to say you don't have faith, it it would be disagreeing with the Word of God. So God said he's given every person a measure of faith. So it doesn't matter what that measure is, even if it's the size of a grain of mustard seed, that you can speak to the mountains in your life. In other words, there's potential in you, potential in what you speak. And what you say, and we know that we do not fight our warfare in the physical with our fists and flesh and blood. But the Bible says that we are fighting against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, and we, we're going to look at that a little bit today. But also, not only did we talk about the potential of the sea being great, but we talked about also that it can move mountains. Now, truth is objective, but faith is subjective. All right? Faith is real to the person that possesses it. You, cannot, you can argue with me that I don't have faith, but it's just subjective because it's real to me because I know that I possess it. You, you can't tell me I don't have what I have. Just because you don't have it or you say that you don't have it doesn't mean that I don't have it. Faith is a substance according to Scripture. It's the f- substance of what we hope for. It's also faith is evidence. It's evidence of things not seen. So Faith is substance, and faith is evidence. Faith is not a nothing. Faith is substance, it's evidence. People mess up looking for evidence in their faith because my faith does not need evidence. My faith is the evidence. My faith is not looking for something to stand on. My faith is what I am standing on. Then we know that faith has a language. You heard me talk about this last week. Funny thing happened after I preached it. I'm going to tell you about it. Now, this past summer, I was on the Gulf. I was down in Florida and having a good time. And there's this guy, his kid, me and my son passed ball. When you are a single, well, when you are, we've got one kid, okay? Ethan's our Alpha and Omega. And uh, he's our one and only. All of our eggs is one basket is what I tell him. I said, so don't mess this up. All of our eggs are... You got two kids, you know what I mean. Okay. Anyways, me and passing ball all the time, I have to do everything. It wears me out. Okay? And, and I never complain about it. I just go do it. I mean, I just, I'm out there. I'm, I, I'm slinging the ball, doing all that. But then another kid comes up, starts passing the water. I'm like, this is cool. I'm just chilling. Next thing you know, his dad comes over. 
As soon as he talks to me, I can tell he's from Jersey. He don't even have to say it. And I said, where are you from? You know, he's going to tell me Jersey. You know, and every time I talk to people, they never think that I'm from West Virginia or anywhere like that. They always say Texas. And I joke about that a lot, but this week you can ask my wife, who's on the phone with one of these, you know, these companies you have have in your life, and you call them, and this one's based out of Texas, and, and uh, I was calling them to get some information, and then she gets in the car while I'm still yet, and I'm still driving, I had to pull off the road, and that lady said, sir, let me ask you something, I'm not from Texas, but all my friends are, te- are from Texas, it says you're from West Virginia, but are you from Texas? I said, ma'am, I believe I could live there and be one of them and never treat me any differently. Everybody says that I'm from Texas or thinks I am when they hear me talk, but I'm actually from West Virginia. She said, well, I just had to ask you. I know it says West Virginia here, but I say that because we have a certain language, but also faith has a language. The way we talk, what we speak, kingdom culture. You hear me talk all the time about culture, that we are not part of counterculture or cancel culture or this culture or that culture. You're not part of that. You're a part of the kingdom. God's called us to come out from among them to be separate, and we are identified separately from those. And then, not only that, we talked about faith has a placement. In order for you to honor where God's called you, you need to honor the place in which he called you. That means, in fact, the Logan County, if you're from Logan County, if you're from Boone County, Mingo County, all that, you need to say, this is where God's planted me in my life. I need to honor where I live. I need to speak life over where I live. You need to honor where you work. You need to honor those you work for. To sit there and be disgruntled with everything in your life. When you say, I'm disgruntled with where I live, then you're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. When you say, I'm disgruntled about, you know, uh, my job and my boss, and you're not honoring to your boss, and honoring to the church you come to, your pastor, your leadership the church, and all those things, you're saying, God, you don't know what you're doing, because he's the one that's placed you there. All right? If you look at your marriage and say, well, when I got married, I felt like as God said, well, what's happened now? Honor your spouse. Honor your kids. Honor where you're at in life because that's your placement and where God has sent you. So we know that faith has a language. It has a place. Now, today I want to talk about making faith count. I want to go to a familiar story in the Bible. One day, Satan presented himself before God. Of course, this is the story of Job. Satan said, I've come from the earth, walking back and forth on the earth. And he presented himself before God according to Scripture, letting us know, first of all, that Satan must have permission to come to God. He's going to and fro. Of course, God sees everything. Satan can only be in one place at one time. God's everywhere. All right? And I know we mean well when we say Satan is fighting us. Satan's fighting me. Listen. Yeah, he's got principalities, rules of darkness. He's got all these rulerships of imps and darkness that we cannot see. And, and yes, that's fighting us. I'm not saying Satan has not showed up to your house himself to fight you. But I'm just saying he can only be in one place at one time. So he was going to and fro from the earth. And God said, and God seen that he was scoping out Job. I believe that with all my life. With everything I have, I believe that because this is why God's next question is, well, I notice he's been looking at Job, looking at the Godhead. You know, let's just, let's just talk to Satan about it. Have you considered my servant Job? Satan's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's who, that's who I've been looking at. That's who I've been looking at. God said, you know, he's a good man that fears God, and he fears me. He lives a good life, and Satan got permission from God to attack Job 
But God gave him one rule. You know, say he's like skin for skin, right? I can do whatever I want. He said, you do what you want, but you cannot take his life. Letting us know that Satan must have permission and his imps and spiritual wickedness and principalities and powers must have permission to attack us. Now, first of all, if they got permission and God allows it, let's me know the very next thing is God entrusts us with the battle. In other words, God says, I know you got the faith that counts on the inside of you that's prepared you for this battle and this war at your hands. So now we, I gave you all that joke to starting verse number seven, going through 10 it says, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery, which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, Job was a righteous man according to Scripture. He feared God. He shunned evil according to Scripture. He's a family man, had seven sons, had three daughters. I mean, he had a lot of kids. He was an influential man. The Bible says that he was regarded as the greatest man in the East. They mentioned Job. They go, yep, that's that greatest man in the East. Never met him. Greatest man in the East, Job. That's a, it's what he was known as in the earth. He was a relational man. He worshiped God faithfully. He offered burnt offerings according to the Scripture. The Old Testament uh, offerings signifying a complete dedication to God. What do you mean by that? He came to Sunday morning church. He came the first Wednesday. He signed up for a few life groups. He attended those. Knowing that, he served on the dream team. He, whether it was serving coffee, greeting people, I don't know, ushering, helping bring the table up, opening the doors for people. Maybe he he was on the worship team. I don't know. But he was part of the dream team. He went to some life groups. He went to first Wednesday and he came to Sunday morning. If he wasn't out of town and he was able to be at church, he was there. That's who Job was. Job was a righteous man, lived right. He, he shunned evil. And you could not find a better man in the earth than Job. And Satan was scoping him out and God gave him. Satan permission to attack him. Now, if you've not heard this story before, then you're going to see how this man had some faith that counted. Job was the envy of the community. He had life like he wanted it, but suddenly, overnight, everything changed. What happened? A raiding band of mercenaries plundered his possessions and killed his workers. A hurricane struck his house where his ten children were gathered at the oldest son's house and they all died. I mean, all every child died. His body broke out in painful sores from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. He took a piece of ceramic uh, and began to scrape his sores. Now, could you imagine going to visit someone like Job and you walk in the door and you're doing a pastoral visit. You're feeling spiritual. You walk in and you hear he's got sores, but there's a broken piece of ceramic. He's got like pottery and he's just peeking at his sores. You don't feel too spiritual. Like, okay, I'm out, Lord. <laughs> Send someone else to go visit Job. And, and we, we, think, we, we, we think other things are bad, but Job had some bad things going on. His wife, understandably, and I say it, Honestly, today, understandably, fell into depression and bitterness. I mean, I can see it. She confronted her husband with a soul-searching question. Are you still holding on to your integrity? In other words, your lips have not sinned against God, Job. Surely 
You said some things we've not heard. Surely you've lost your integrity. So will you not just let go of your integrity for a moment? Job, this is bad. In other words, he said, are you so naive to continue to believe God and that he's still good in the midst of this hell we're facing? She uttered words like this that make my soul tremble. She said, Job, you should curse God and die. Give up on your faith. Curse God and die, Job. This is bad. What amazes me about Job is the fact that Job knew that faith really counted when the heat was turned up. What do you mean? Faith counts in the crucible of life in hell's kitchen. Faith counts in the face of unanswered questions. Faith counts when we've lost that which is dearest to us. Faith counts when it's the sickness that we dislike or the, the undaunting reality that we thought would just be a nightmare is now a reality comes to our life. It's when things happen to the best of people. In a Gallup poll taken several years ago, people were asked the following question. If you were to meet God face to face and ask him what question, what question will you ask him? Number one on that was why is there suffering in this world? We all ask that. I see it. I go to Uganda. I've seen it. I've seen it in Ecuador. Seen it in different cities of our nation. Seen it right here in our own town. Suffering. We've been asking this question since Adam and Eve because when sin entered the world, death entered and the world's imperfect. The Bible calls Satan the God of this world or the prince and the power of the air, talking about the earth, and he's in it. Sin gave him rain, so bad things happen. And anywhere you see turmoil, it doesn't make sense. And questions we can't answer, you can guarantee you power and principalities and rulers of darkness are stirring it. Just like the race thing in our nation, stirring it. Just like the other divisions in our nations and political matter, stirring. You better believe that Satan wants America so divided. And everybody said, I'm on this side, I'm on that side. What about being part of the kingdom culture and cancel out cancel culture and begin to speak life over our nation and over the people of this land? Not identifying with the worldly nature, but identifying with the kingdom where unity comes and the anointing comes and a difference is made. That's who we are. We're mountain movers. That's who we are. You're like, Pastor, you look mad today. I'm not mad. I just feel anointed. I might look mad when I feel annoyed. John 16, 33 says, These things have I spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcame the, overcome the world. So Jesus has already overcome calamity and trials and destruction, death, hell, and the grave. He's overcame all these things. He said, in this world, he said, you're going to have tribulation. He said, but I want you to think about this. I want you to receive my peace because I've already overcame the world. I died up on the cross. And, and hell and the grave had, could not even contain me or hold me. And I busted up out of that grave and sent it to the right him the father and I'm in control of all things and Satan has to have permission to even get an attack upon your home so therefore just have peace in me as I overcame trial as I overcame hell as I overcame death and the grave so will you overcome because I overcame now give him praise today don't patty cake the question is raised why do righteous or the innocent suffer Job had three close friends 
who came and debated this issue with their theological conjectures. They came over there like, what sin did you do, Job? First, they just stared at him for a few days, several days, just staring at him, not saying nothing. Those are good friends. Come over and just stare at you. They probably gave, you know, those spiritual judgmental people. When they really try to get spiritual, they one eye closed. I'm looking for sin. They had that eyeball. And they was looking for something wrong with Job. Job's like, I haven't done anything, but they're figuring out, what did you do wrong? Job, we know you're not the greatest in the East now. Everything bad's happened. Just tell us what's happening. See, the righteous suffer for the same reason the unrighteous suffer. The world's imperfect and no one is exempt of the sufferings. Why the righteous suffer is not the question we need to be asking. The real question is this. What do the righteous do when they suffer? What do we do? When we suffer. Because I'm telling you, suffering is different for everybody. Well, you don't think suffering could be suffering from someone else. We lack empathy and been empathetic for people. There are some things that I wish that I could feel what they were feeling and knowing that I'm nowhere near that. We don't know what groups of peoples or nations or people in the city or the people in this part of America may be feeling. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we do understand. But some things we just got to admit that we don't understand. But we want to try. But there's so many things that we deal with, whether it's the righteous or the unrighteous, the believer or the unbeliever. It's not who suffers or who doesn't suffer. The difference is, is how are we going to handle the suffering? I'm telling you, we all suffer. We all suffer tragedy and trial and hurt. We've all had disappointments. We've all had letdowns. We've all had promises unfulfilled or hope put off and deferred and our heart is made sick. Job's experiences does not teach us why the righteous suffers, but it teaches us what the righteous do when they suffer. So what did Job do? After losing his property and children and now no longer regarded probably as the greatest in the East, Job fell to the ground and he worshipped God. In spite of so many other things going on, he worshipped God. He would say things like this, like Job 19, 25, I know that my Redeemer lives. I mean, he's ten children's dead. His wife told him to curse God and die. But he says, I'm still going to worship my God. Job 23 and 12 says, I've treasured the words of God's mouth. His mouth more than my daily bread. In other words, what God has spoken to me, I will never forget. It lets us know that Job had trust. What do you mean by trust? Trust means don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Because there's times you've got the mountaintop experience when God has exposed some things in the light that when darkness comes and the valley comes and storms come and hell's kitchen, you're right in the middle of it. You just close your eyes. You worship God and say, Lord, I remember what you spoke to me when it was light and when I was on the mountaintop. I will not forget it. I will regard it. I will make it bread to my spirit and my soul and my emotions. I will not forget that the righteous will not be forsaken. Job 13 and 15 though he slay me yet I will trust him. Job was not a super saint. Super spiritual. He's just a real person like you and I that has tragedy that comes in our life. Had it all together in a moment, in another moment, it didn't look like he had it all together, but yet he worshiped God. First thing is, Job trusted the character of God in spite of unanswered questions. Some things we want answered so badly, but we don't get them. But we still have to trust God and his character. What, what do you mean, trusted the character of God? God has never failed, he's never lost a battle. God has never took his eye off 
of the righteous. He's never taken away his hand from those that love him and that regard him and, and that look to him. He still yet is there for us even in times of suffering. Job refused to blame God or to charge God with wrongdoing. Last week I talked about our honoring God and our placement. In other words, we need, to, we need to know, you know, God's put us in that classroom. God's put us with that business. He's put us with that boss. He's put us uh, on that floor at that hospital. He, he's put us in this ministry. He's put us in that home. And, and we just need to honor God. God, I thank you for putting you entrusted this family to me, these employees to me, these co-workers, this boss to me. You've entrusted him, so I'm going to honor you that you know more of what I need than what I, I know. And so I'm going to trust you in it. I'm going to honor it. See, the justice of God was on trial. We call this the doctrine of theodicy, which the justice of God in the light of human suffering. And the problem is this, is that, that people ask these questions. How, how can God's justice be defended in light of suffering? Or how can we say that God is good when we see war and oppression in the world? Or how can we walk through a children's cancer ward and see that? Or how can we drive through a poverty-stricken area? Or how can we see homeless people on the streets? Or people going hungry? Or, or, or so many different issues. I mean, I can mention so many things just right here. But the conclusion of Job's friends on suffering. I mean, this is what they came with. This is not the gospel. This is Job's friends. They's like, God is not almighty, that is. He doesn't have the power to end suffering. I mean, that's the kind of questions they came with. God is not just. Or is he just evil and good? God chooses when to be evil or good. God, evil is not in God. God is not capable of evil. God's, God is not capable of failure. Mm -mm. It's not even in his vocabulary. Man is innocent and he doesn't deserve any of the suffering in the world. And the conclusion of these three positions is, is that a person's suffering is indicative of the measure of guilt in God's eyes. In the essence, karma in Hinduism, which would, raise, which would rise or give rise to the case system. But when you look at all that, you have to say, you know, these are things they brought up. This was human ability. This was not God's words. They was coming up with their own doctrine. They was coming up with their own theology and belief. But the conclusion of Job's suffering is this. There exists an alien presence in this world. Not only is there God and humanity in this world, but we know that Satan is the prince and the power of the air. That we're not fighting against flesh and blood or wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. The sin problem brought the curse on the earth. And ever since the curse of sin came in the earth. Bad things happen to even the best of people. It rains on the just and the unjust according to scripture. And in the midst of a world of evil, consequently suffering, God is good, God is just, and God is merciful. See, Job meets God during his suffering. But his question why happens, but it never really is answered directly. Job had two full chapters, around chapter 39, 40, all that area. The book of Job, you find he, he just starts letting God kind of have it without sinning on his lips even yet. He has all these questions, and he's just questioning God. And I can just see God, I just wish he'd shut up. If he'll just give me a moment. See, God is good in a world where bad things happen. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 28, in all things, God works for the good 
of those who love him. This doesn't mean that God causes all things to happen, but that God works for our good in spite of what happened. Here's a poem called The Weaver. My wife, my life, my life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as a needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. We have to understand that no matter how it weaves, God's steady in control of our life. The second thing is Job worship despite personal pain. Despite personal pain, Job worship. Can we fully understand pain? I've already told you no, not really. Unless you are experiencing it, then you don't understand it. I know that some of you may identify well with Job's pain. I can't say that I can. There's times I've wept with people that I know that I did not fully understand. There's times that I've hugged folks that I didn't fully understand what they was going through. There was times I had no words but to show up and tell them I love them and I and I didn't fully understand. And then there's times that hell was breaking through in my life and people would come to me and say that. And I was like, I, I don't fully understand, Pastor, but I see this happening. And I believe that Job's friends wanted to understand. They wanted to find something. They meant well, but all was wrong with what they had to say because they was just human and could not figure it out. It wasn't meant for them to figure it out, but Job's lament. He worshipped despite personal pain. What do you mean? Job... 3 and 1 says, after Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Job cursed the day of his birth. In other words, he believed his life to be meaningless. I don't know if you've ever been there. That you've said, you know, I don't even know the meaning of my life. Wish I wasn't even born. But he still yet worshiped God according to the scripture. He had a true, real feeling, but worshiped God. Didn't He's like, why am I even born? But he worships still. He's like, I'm still going to go and worship God. I'm still going to offer sacrifices to him. I'm still going to go to church. I'm still going to go to my group. I'm still going to do what I do. And, and, and this may not settle well with you, but I've used this for years, but haven't said it in years. Sometimes you've got to fake it until you can make it. You need to speak life over death. Speak joy even in times of disruption and anxiety and speak hope in times of despair. Even in Job 3 and 25, he said, what I feared has come upon me. Maybe your worst nightmare, you're living it right now. Job said, what I only dreamed could be the worst is happening in my life. But he still worshiped God. Job 6 and 9, he said, oh, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut me off. In other words, Job said, I'm feeling worthless. He said, I feel like... I can't hit a lick at anything. I feel worthless. But he still worshiped God. Job 10 and 1 says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out in bitterness of my soul. He was, he was disgusted and intolerant of his own life. Disgusted at himself. Disgusted with everything in him. Did not like himself. But yet, he still worshiped God. Job 14 and 1, man born a woman is a few days of full trouble. He regretted being born. Now, he just didn't want to be born anymore or, or even like, why was I born? But now he's like, I regretted ever breathing. But he still worshiped God. 
Job 17 and 1. My spirit is broken. My days are cut short. The grave awaits me. Now he just desires to die, but he still worships God. Job 30 19, I'm reduced to the dust of ashes. He's experiencing in depression, but he still worshiped God. Job 30 and 26, yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then, then came darkness. He, was, he felt hopeless, but he still worshiped God. Job 30 and 27, the churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. He, in other words, he said, I do not see any light at the end of the tunnel, but he still worshiped God. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you, you can have feelings and be a child of God and feel like your life is meaningless, but still worship God and come to church. You can still yet have your worst nightmare and be living it out. Come to church and worshiping God. You can still yet have feelings of feeling worthless and come to church and worship God. You can be disgusted with yourself and still come to church and worship God. You can regret even being born or desiring to die and experience depression or hopelessness or seeing that there's no light to the end of this tunnel and see it come to church and worship God. In spite of the mess, Job found himself in worship no matter the feelings because he said, I'm going to continue to do what is right in spite of the mess that I'm facing. Today, no matter what you're facing, you still worship God. In his worship, he found the door open for an encounter of God's greatness. You heard me say, God was just waiting. Job, waiting. You know, God's not confined by time. That's just me trying to give you a picture. But here is God in eternity looking down at Job. Job not seeing no light at the end of time. He's asking God questions like this. Why has this happened? Why have I been born? Shouldn't I be better dead? You know you can do these things. God, you just do something. Or have you just went silent on me, God? That's the way it sounds. But Job regained what he lost. God restored to Job what he lost. But then it came something like this when God began to open up. He said, now wait a minute, Job, you've talked enough. You sat there and now you listen. And he said, who do you think hung the, the stars and hold them in place? Who told the ocean it could come only so far? The sun, when to rise and when to set. Who do you think that you are so big to tell me when I'm the one that created you and breathed into you life? All of a sudden, faith began to take wings upon the. He, he began to go up on wings of faith and begin to believe God. He looked up in Job 42 and 2 says, This to God, I know you can do all things. He looked up, then he looked inside of himself. He said, I arbor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. In other words, he said, God, I repent of all those words. Anything I say is wrong, God, I repent. And then he looked out. He began to pray for his friends that came around and looked at him for days without saying anything. Then when they did talk, they judged him. He said, God, bless my friends. Then he looked ahead, and, he, and God blessed him with twice as much as before. In fact, Job had three daughters, Gemini, Kizah, and Karen, Hapak, which their names mean this, Dove, Cinnamon, and container of anatomy, eye makeup, dove representing the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Cinnamon, a good smell unto God, because when you worship God, when you're broken, it is a good smell unto God. So a greater anointing came upon him. A greater smell came from his worship. And then he became even more beautiful than he ever had been. In other words, God says, You got ashes, I've got beauty. Your ashes may be depression and hopelessness. Your ashes may be sickness. Your ashes may be disappointment. You get the point today. We all got ashes. But he said, you bring the ashes, I'll give you the beauty. 
today you need to take beauty. Pick it up and say, this is what God's promised. Quit doing it your way. Do it his way. Just worship in spite of the pain, the problems, the issues at hand. Make faith count because there is a measure of faith in you that's going to move the mountains in your life. And sometimes that faith is saying, God, here I am in my brokenness. Here I am in my ashes. Here I am in my mess. And God says, here's you some more anointing. Here's a sweet smelling because the savor under my nostrils because this is worship. And then he says, give me the ashes. I give you beauty. That's a beautiful Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to reach out to us, please contact us through social media or at westloganchurch.com.